Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to uh, Ending the Curse podcast, where we discuss what I like to call the hard subjects that many try to stay away from these days for various reasons. But I'm joined this evening with a great guy, Vicar Matson, who is hello? over the, what's that? I said, hello. Oh, hello. Hello. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, he is, he uh, is the host of trailer trailer trash terrace mm -hmm. and uh and of course a member of the paranormal rundown normally we would be joined by david griffith and jj johnson but uh they had to be other places tonight but we will be joined later by my son uh, deacon josh birdsong but if i say the following names what do they all have in common robin williams John McAfee, Marilyn Monroe, and even Mr. Soul Train himself, Don Cornelius. The answer would be that each one committed suicide. And it never fails that some in the church where one should give grace, they will ultimately open their mouth and spew forth some kind of venom about the incident. And see, it's actions like this that make me wonder at times, have we forgotten the fact that Christ sought out the lost, the least, and the lonely? And to be honest with you, that is a subject and characteristics of Christ that the church needs to understand again. I mean, really, how dare we go spend time with some stinking sinner? Sadly, that's what some of the church feels like today. However, the church's judgmental and self-righteous attitude shows its colors and hatefulness in the ram of condemnation that we must get control of if we are to ever live fully in the kingdom. And what I mean by that is I could just simply bring two points. We're not God. And secondly, we are not to judge the heart of man. I remember many years ago, Pastor Jared Wilson, he was an associate pastor at the Mega Church Harvest Christian Fellowship in Riverside, California. He died by suicide on Monday, September the 9th, 2019. And where many should be grieving and reaching out to family, the critics were on the loose as well as the religious modern-day Pharisees, they had a field day. And one person even wrote, and I quote, Judas also committed suicide by hanging himself after he experienced extreme guilt of his pre-planned scheme behind the back of Jesus. To be honest, Judas did not make it to heaven, and neither will this pastor. Why? Because they had both, they both had great knowledge of the word of God and how do how to defeat the enemy. Well, I got something to say about that part too. You know what? Once again, you're not God. Really? Have we become so holy that we have forgotten the fact that we are still too, just like everyone else? We have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. 
according to Holy Scriptures? Have we forgotten that a thief, that many in the church today will turn their back on and push away, Christ told him in the Gospel of St. Luke that he would be with him today in paradise, a thief and a robber. How dare the church, and I'm a priest, but how dare the church bring accusations and condemnation on someone that they know nothing about? How dare we bring slander and malice on someone who suffers from depression or anxiety or anything like that? Because we don't know how the enemy is robbing and creating havoc inside of one of of one of the minds of God's children. We don't know what kind of medication they may be taking and the adverse reactions that they could be having with that medication. And for me personally, I consider myself, well, I would say sane, Vic, but maybe I'm half sane. But I have to cast down vain imagines every day. That because the enemy would love to take me out. I mean, how many of you have ever had someone close to you commit suicide? That is a hard subject. But I've been there. When I was 15 years old, a 14-year-old cousin shot himself. 14. When I was 16, two young men that I grew up with shot themselves within months apart. My former pastor, mentor, and dear friend suffered from so much pain and depression that he overdosed on medication and hung himself. Are they in hell? You see, the point of tonight's whole episode, and we're going to discuss a lot of these things, but the church must be very careful when casting judgment. Because we don't know the heart of man. We don't know the mental state of people that do this. Because if we really think about, if we really think about it, for someone to commit suicide has got to be in a very, very dark place. I can't cast judgment. Do I condone the outcome the outcome in each one of these circumstances? No, I don't. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it is okay for someone to commit suicide. What I am saying is we have to be careful about saying so-and-so is in hell for eternity because of that action. Because the last time I checked, the Holy Scripture tells us in the Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And this topic is near and dear as it is to me. It is one of those very hard subjects that, uh, as I said earlier, that no one really wants to talk about because there's a great stigma about it. But that's what we're for. That's what this podcast is for. To address the hard issues, to discuss them in order, but ultimately to give people hope that there's a hope out there for everyone. Whether you have contemplated suicide or you know one, know someone who has dear to your heart. But Vic, that's that's what I want to talk about tonight. And 
I listed a few people that everybody knows at the beginning, but I'm <clears> sure <throat> that we've all had people that, or we know people that have been through this or, or even maybe even contemplated it themselves. But I want to hear and, and discuss not only your thoughts, not only Josh's thoughts when he gets here, but I want to discuss the church's attitude because that is an area that I believe that the church has failed because the church is to embrace the sinner, not run them away, but also it is not the church's place to judge a man's heart. Yes, the church judges fruit of people, but I don't know your heart. So let's open this up for discussion now. Thanks, Father Birdsong. Um, this is Vic Hermanson. First off, I'm happy to see the fiery Father Birdsong back. <laughs> well, this subject is, like I said, it's one of those that's near and dear to this is the father bird song that me. we need we need we need the father bird song with the zeal the the man who can stand behind the pulpit and preach and by golly if you're there you're going to listen that's it, <laughs> that is that's, the, it. <laughs> he, he, that's a skill that none of none of the other of us have he does have that well father mike for me and you've known me long enough now to know that I always go back to the practical. I always go back to the experiences that I've had. And that's why I wanted you here. I mean, yeah. those experiences mean a lot. I'm sorry <laughs> to interrupt you, but I just had to throw that part in there. It's okay. It's just the way I think. I mean, over time, these experiences add up to give me <clears throat> an idea of how I feel about something, uh, of what I perceive to be going on. But it always goes back to the experiences. <clears throat> One second. <clears throat> when you work in a big city ER, like I did for a period of years, you see two things. You see suicides. In a big city ER, you will probably see a couple of those a week. But what you will see more of is failed suicides you will see three or four <clears throat> times as many failed suicides as you see successful suicides. And that's where you start to begin. You know, once somebody's dead, there's no way of knowing that man. There's no way of knowing that girl, that child. But when someone's still alive, you can interact with them. You can hear their, their pain. You can hear their pleas. Just a couple of stories. Um, and if my going through these stories is problematic, please let me know. It became so common to see a 14 to 18-year-old girl come into the ER with her parents, walking slowly, looking like they felt terrible, as orange as a carrot, coming toward the registration desk. It became so common that most of us only had to look at them and say, how many did you take and how many days ago was it? And what they had done was decided that a good way for them to 
either die or get a lot of attention was by taking a bunch of Tylenol, a bunch of acetaminophen, which immediately attacks your liver. Now, <clears throat> they had several outcomes. If they had waited too long and they had taken enough, the only thing that was going to keep them alive was a liver transplant. You can't live without a liver. The I would say that would be about 20% of these girls. It's, it's, it's a very problematic thing, a very sad thing to look at these girls coming into the ED, these young, otherwise healthy people, realizing that her liver's dead. Vic, let me, let me interrupt you right there. And it, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said that that was very common for those young girls to do that? Oh, oh yeah. At Ben Todd, we would see um, three a week. Really? Mm-hmm. No, it was a very common thing. It's a very common way for young, almost exclusively young women to act out or to reach out for help or try to actually die. I generally got the feeling that with any kind of loving intervention, these people would not really want to die. What 16-year-old wants to die? That's, there sh you should be fully involved in living your life at that point. Yeah. Now, there are some people who are so depressed. I don't remember there being very much mention of God or fate or religion or any of those things. That's really not what you're thinking about when that girl comes in. You're thinking about what supportive therapy is necessary in order to keep them alive for a little bit longer. I can remember talking to some of these girls when they had reached a point where they were essentially stable. I can remember one of the doctors talking to a girl who was about 17 and saying, we're going to be trying everything we have to find a liver that we can transplant into you, or we're going to be talking to your family about doing an autologist liver transplant. Um, but if we don't, you're going to die. And it was important that he be that honest with her. But the look I saw in her face was one of surprise, one of absolute terror, which I understand. But mainly what I got was that these young girls were, well, first off, they were, they were immature. They had not been given the uh, psychological tools necessary to cope with many aspects of life, or they hadn't developed those yet. And they felt very, very detached from their parents. They didn't feel that their parents were involved in their lives very much. I don't feel like there's anything profound here other than just there was such a a lack of understanding on the part of both the young girls and often their parents. I mean, the most common reaction you would see with the parents was extreme anger. Ang there, anger. Anger. And I don't know why. 
I don't know if they felt that they had not been good enough parents. I don't know if they didn't like that being pointed out. But about two out of ten of those girls died. And I, I came away not feeling I had any wisdom at all other than make sure you're communicating with your kids. You see, that's if you want the fiery Mike Bird song. <laughs> well, that's what I paid for my ticket for. <laughs> well, that, that, now see, I knew that you were going to say that some of the reactions or most of the reactions that you got from the parents was anger. And here's the reason why. Uh, you guys have heard me say that we live in one of the most offended eras of our time, right? Mm -hmm. and, yes, I have. Uh, but, but that would be the point to where I would have to look at that parent and say, are you offended or are you convicted? Which one is it? Why are you ain't angry with your child right now when you should be worried about their life? And you're angry? So you need to go look into the mirror myths in mister and find out and search your heart and ask holy spirit to reveal to you am i offended by what my daughter just tried to do or am i convicted to the point to where i was not involved in her life and not taking care of my child the way i should for those in the audience who don't <clears throat> uh, follow christian vocabulary as well as as you do Tell people what you mean by convicted. When someone is convicted, uh, I hate to use the words feeling guilty, mm -hmm. but but when we sin against God or neighbor, and it gets pointed out to us, the Holy Spirit will try to gently convict us of that sin and lead us to repentance. But unfortunately, these days, the way that has gone is because every little thing we do is we can cry, I'm offended now. When things get pointed out to us, we get angry because we get the, the idea, well, how dare you tell me that I'm wrong about something? So that's, you know, that's, that's the difference between being offended and convicted. Am I, am, I, am I offended because someone has falsely accused me of something? Or am I being convicted by God because I'm guilty of not doing something? One would also see occasionally, and, and I'll say occasionally, parents who obviously deeply, deeply, deeply love their kids, wanted them to live, were willing to do anything they could possibly do for them to live, and became aware almost immediately that something must be horribly wrong here. Perhaps just with my daughter, but probably with the entire family. Yeah. Probably with the entire family. And that should be the outlook on every case. If, if, if your child, if you got a call tonight, and your in in your child has tried to commit suicide or attempted suicide. 
you would think that number one, we would be surrounded by support. Mm-hmm. And number two, I should be not that I have done anything wrong, but I, I should be looking at, okay, what's the problem? There's a problem somewhere that just caused my daughter to attempt suicide and the family that that is not just a parent approach that is a family approach okay guys what's the problem what's going on and let's be this just like you and i were talking about before the show it's time to be honest it's time to be upfront. because families are supposed to be there for one another they're supposed to love one another. They're supposed to sort support one another. Mm-hmm. But on the other side of the coin, too, and, and this is a part that we cannot forget, that's what the bride, that's what the church is for, too. <clears throat> How well do you think most churches... Is to... Hand, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. No, so I, no, you're saying that the, the church, the bride of Christ, is there to... One of the purposes of that church is to help people connect with the support and love of God. Exactly. And obviously, well, there was no guarantee that any of these girls were associated with any kind of church at all. Exactly. We didn't normally get to that point where I could find that out. We we did have a chaplain who would often come down and try to talk to the parents. Sometimes they were very receptive, sometimes they were not. He he said he always felt pretty helpless. <clears throat> How do you think most churches are doing in terms of addressing these kind of issues? My personal opinion, uh, from what I've seen, very poorly. <clears throat> As I said in the beginning, a lot of the churches, unfortunately... Well, un- unfortunately today, Vic, we have a lot of coffee shops and concert halls instead of leading people to Christ. And I know I just probably pissed a lot of folks off, but that's okay. Are they offended or convicted? So, uh, <laughs> case in point. <laughs> but, but, but this is this is what this is what I call modern day Phariseeism. Mm-hmm. We're so quick to cast judgment. Well, let's take let's take Mary Magdalene, for instance. She was caught in adultery, right? And 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 the people wanted to stone her. And so they t- they took her to Jesus and said, Okay, teacher, what do you guys say about this? Did Jesus rise up and say stone her according to the law? <clears throat> no. No, he said, Okay, whichever one of you is without seeing you cast the first stone see sometimes i think we forget that we're, we're, we're center saved by the grace of christ too but i can only tell you from my personal experience what i would do mm-hmm. if i was faced with that situation one of the first things that i would have told one of those little girls that you were talking about mm-hmm. <clears throat> Now I want to get emotional. Give me just a second. 
But see, that's when I would have looked at that little girl and said, you know what? God's not mad at you. How about let's start off the conversation with that? Because she's probably feeling guilty enough already. She probably feels alone already. She probably feels abandoned already. And somebody needs to tell her, not just God loves you, but they also need to hear, as we do in the confessional bit, God's not mad at you. Now, let's talk about the problem. And this leads you toward healing. And I'm not I'm not talking about just physical healing, Vic. Mm-mm. I'm talking about spiritual and emotional healing. And I think somewhere along the line, and, and no, this didn't start yesterday, but I think somewhere down the line, we have lost the true vision of the kingdom. And that is to bring life and to bring hope. And yes, to tell people, you know what? God is not mad at you. He, you know what? Vic, he's not even disappointed in you. He just wants you to love him and allow and, and you allow him to love you. Because if you look at it and, and say, this is this is strictly my opinion, and 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 even in even you with your background and and I, and I know that you had to take some psychology courses too. But in most of those cases, most cases, people who reach that point get to the point to where they feel that they have no hope if they're Correct. successful. So, yes, yeah, some of I'm not <clears throat> saying that some don't try it out of attention. I would be very gullible to say that to say they don't, you know. Well, you, you will see attempts that are obviously not meant to succeed. Exactly. But I'm talking about people who are successful. Mm-hmm. Something happened along the way, whether it be mental illness, whether it be medication, or they reached rock bottom and say, you know what, I have no hope. You know, I want to tell another story if you don't mind. No, go for it. That's what we're for. My... Um... My older son, <clears throat> and I make it emotional here, carries a photo of a young man named Josh. It's, it's a tall, lanky, skinny young man, probably 16 when the picture was taken. Blonde-haired kid. Normal-looking guy. Out at the Charlotte Motor Speedway, standing in front of one of the race cars, with one of the race car drivers there with him. <laughs> I don't know who, <laughs> But he has carried that picture since he was 17, and he is 34 now. Everywhere he moves, that's the first thing he takes out, is that picture of Josh. It's always there, and he has said, well... By having this picture, at least I know that somebody hasn't forgotten him. <clears throat> I think people forget, and I'm going to, I'll give you some, what I think is a little bit of wisdom. It doesn't take a lot. Have, have you, 
Have you ever seen documentaries about these big engineering failures? Like you can find the Dahomeneros Bridge. Oh, yeah. That, you know, that's swaying and it finally comes down, or the, uh, the uh, walkway in Kansas City where they designed it a particular way, but the construction company built it another way. Right, right. Whenever you see these huge engineering failures, it's never just one thing that caused it. It's never one mistake. It's always a series of mistakes that people fail to fix along the way. When, of course, the boy I'm talking about, Josh, killed himself. He shot himself in the head, sitting at a gas pump on Old Statesville Road in Charlotte. It was a family that was, <clears throat> in my mind, needing a lot of help. One of the stories was that uh, Josh had a, a brother who was either his twin or his very close in age. And they looked about the same. Josh stabbed this this brother. And the punishment given him for stabbing was to have his head shaved. And I, I can just remember trying to figure out any connection between between these two things. So what had happened was Josh had broken up with a girl. And that morning he decided the best thing to do was to get his father's gun, take it with him, head out. People knew he had the gun. The brother knew he had the gun. The mother knew he had the gun. He went then to the school and told people, you know, I broke up with my girlfriend. I don't want to live anymore. I'm getting ready to do something. That whole day, there were people who were aware that Josh was in very, very serious psychological danger. And nobody intervened at all until he sat next to that gas pump <clears throat> and put a bullet in his brain. And I've always looked at that as just like I look at those huge engineering disasters. If anybody had just broken the chain along the way, you know, said, <clears throat> Josh, look, I know you're upset. Let's... Let's go get a burger. Let's do anything. Let's just get away from this. Leave the gun in the car. Throw the gun in the ditch. Throw the gun in the river. But let's anything. I mean, it, wouldn't, it didn't take someone to be able to say, look, I'm going to heal your spiritual emptiness. I'm, I'm, going, you know, I'm going to heal your psychological problems. I'm going to heal the, the fact that you've gone through more pain than you know, to, you know how to deal with. All I think he needed was somebody intervene in some way so uh, to me that was <clears throat> look that's not a religious message that's just a message of we're not helpless in this exactly right and Can I, I want to I want to expound on what you just said about the whole school day for just a second and, and it's, it's a very trivial story, but <clears throat> to me personally, it will, it will make what you said even more out there, if you understand what I'm talking about. 
you know, I had that fall recently, right, where I just fractured my L1. And, uh, um, and yeah, I knew I shouldn't have tried to do what I did, but I did. But anyway, um, so when my back said, no, we're not going to do that, and you knew better to do it, I fell. And when I fell, I fell on a very hard concrete floor. And uh, didn't know it at the time, but actually fractured my L1 vertebra along with the other L4 and 5 and all that mess going on. And so I'm laying on the floor <laughs> hurting and embarrassed in the middle of a supermarket. And people would turn the corner and see me and turn around and walk away. Only one person stopped. And I'm not I'm not casting any blame, but I want I want our listeners to understand instead of casting judgment, how about let's let's be that one. Let's be that one link in the chain that knows something is happening and step in and say, hey, I, yeah, we're at school. Let's I don't care ditch school. Go get that burger you're talking about. Do something. You see, that that is that is the very reason why the prophet Isaiah spoke the word of the Lord where he said, and I wondered that there was no intercessor. Mm. That is a very, if you look that up, that is a very profound statement. God himself speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and I wondered why there was no intercessor. I want stand in the gap and at least say something. Hey, bro, why are you feeling this way? What's going on? <clears throat> but and I go back to that stigma that we've put on this thing suicide is just not an action Dave suicide is a disease it is an infection it is a cancer that eats away at the soul of man to the point that they take their own life. That's why it aggravates me so much that 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 people, you know what, you know, sometimes sometimes I think Judas gets a bad rap. Judas did what Judas had to do to fulfill the scriptures for number one. Correct. And number two, did he not even try to give the money back? He did. And say, whoa, I made a mistake. But even Judas, can you imagine what was going through his mind and his emotions to know that he spent three and a half years with this guy? Okay, let's take Thomas, for instance. 
Thomas wasn't there when Christ appeared to the disciples when when he rose from the dead, right? right. Christ comes walking in. Everybody sees him. They all stand in awe. They didn't believe either mm. until Jesus said, peace be with you, right? Mm -hmm. And then, but Christ came back just for Thomas. But everybody wants to call Thomas Doubting Thomas. Well, they didn't believe either in the beginning. Let's take it a step further. Peter failed. But oh, what yes. did Christ say? What did Christ say to the two women in the garden? Go tell my disciples and Peter. <laughs> Do you think that's a coincidence? No. Go tell my disciples that, oh, oh, by the way, tell Peter. Well, I'm, <clears throat> I'm not laughing at you at all. That's just one of the mm, most powerful and difficult parts of the Bible for me to read. Not, not difficult because it's, you know, there are horrible things happening. Just that whole idea of kind of infinite forgiveness. Okay, the idea is that Peter will betray Christ three times before the cock crows. He does. That's what happens. When Peter sees Jesus again, there's no condemnation. Nope. There is instead the request to you know, feed my sheep, feed my flock. And he says something along those lines to him three times. Feed my sheep, feed my children, something like that, or and feed my lambs. Feed my lambs, yeah. Feed my it's lambs. a matter of, <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, you are, you are Peter, to us Petra, and upon this rock I will build my church. So <clears throat> even, I mean, I suppose that's the greatest degree of trust that any human being has ever been given. And that's why I can look at someone, Vic, even though they have attempted suicide and say, God's not mad at Well, you, I mean, you're looking at somebody who attempted suicide. I, mean, I don't doubt it. I have told you the story, haven't I? Or? No, you haven't. Uh, okay. Take a deep breath. <laughs> um... There were a great many abusive moments in my childhood. Okay. After a particularly long-lived abusive evening, several hours of beating and this sort of thing, I finally went, tried to go to sleep. And I was sleeping in my sister's bed. I'm not sure where my sister was. But I was lying there and just simply said, don't want to do this anymore. I don't want that to ever happen to me again. I'm, I'm out. I was 12. I went in the kitchen. We had these big butcher knives. I stood next to the sink, placed the butcher knife on my chest, thinking if I fall forward and hit the butcher knife on the floor, it will go into my chest. That's what I did. 
thankfully, I mean incredibly thankfully, I didn't understand things like angle of incidence and how slippery the floor was and how small the point of the knife was and, and how, you know, how hard it would really be to do what I thought would work. Thank God I was that, you know, didn't understand that better because I probably would have come up with a better plan. But, but, but all that happened was the knife just kind of skittered across my chest. So I ended up with just a relatively minor cut, something that didn't, didn't even need stitches, something I could just, you know, pull together with band-aids and ignore. And nothing like that ever happened again. I mean, I, I didn't try again. I didn't tell anybody about this for years and years and years and years. No one was awake in the house but me. I never said a word to anybody. So I didn't even give people the chance to help me. Right. But at age 12, how do you do that? How do you know what, how do you know what to do? <laughs> I mean, I mean, the, look, I, I'm going to tell you, of all the experiences with suicide that I've had, um, there is essentially no joy in any of this, except knowing the kind of man that my son is, that the first thing he does is he pulls that picture out and he puts it up where he can see. <laughs> you, know, you know, whenever he moves someplace new. And it's gone through a lot of places now. Any, anyway, I uh, I hated to see these failed suicides in the ER. The girls, like I say, would often take Tylenol because it was available. And we didn't, most of these girls, we didn't really have the internet. I mean, they couldn't get on the internet and say, what happens if I take a whole bottle of Tylenol? I mean, right. you can you can type that in Google right now, I'm sure, and it'll tell you. And it'll also bring up all kinds of suicide hotlines and you know, ways of, of not doing that. <laughs> and um, But the boys are more violent. Boys, I was going to ask that. What about the boys? Well, the boys, the worst thing that they would do is get their father's shotgun they would get the idea that kind of pointing it this way up into the front would be a good way to commit suicide and they just blow their face off and they end up fully alive with no face look i, I this is horrible stuff to talk about but i've I seen imagine seeing that but i but i've seen it i don't know a dozen times dozen times now sometimes the boys get the angle right you know they point it backwards they they end up actually killing themselves when you would see somebody who had blown their face off you unfortunately you would you would wonder is this a better state than they would have been in I mean the you know the uh, the Christian in me, the Catholic, you know, would say, "Look, life is always better than death." Uh, however, man, humans can get into a state where death looks pretty promising. Yeah. 
Man, I'm being a. I I I feel like I'm being such a downer. No, no, no. But but see, no, you, you're not being a downer. This this talk. That's why I said at the beginning that we don't mind discussing the hard things, <clears throat> but all at the same time we're giving hope. That's why we're also talking about things. You know, God God is not mad at you. You know, there is hope out there. You know, death death is death is not the answer. You know, the old cliche, you know, people people always want to say, well, you know, well, life is not easy sometimes. Well, you know what? No, it's not. But there's strength out there. And there's hope out there. And I have to come from that hope from who I am, but St. Paul calls it this great mystery, you know, which has been hidden from ages and generations. And then he explains that hope and says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And see, that is the very reason, Vic, why you and I celebrate Holy Eucharist every Lord's Day. Because we're taking Christ in his real presence into us. We're fulfilling the words of Christ in John chapter 6 unless you eat of my flesh and you drink of my blood you have no life in you that, that's why we take the Eucharist every Lord's day because we're we're fulfilling the scripture of John chapter 6 unless you eat of my flesh and you drink of my blood you have no life in you we're fulfilling the Old Testament law and prophets where Moses, where God is speaking to Moses in Deuteronomy, today I set heaven and earth against you as a witness, life and death, blessings and cursings. And God gives us the answer right there. He says, choose life that you and your descendants may live. If we don't talk about these things, Vic, no, no one's going to know that, you know what, your life means something. You have a destiny. You have a hope. You have a glory that can be greater in you than anything. And plus, us, you get to bless your descendants, your seed. You get to bring forth life. You see, I, that's why I don't mind talking about these hard things. <clears throat> but also these hard things that we talk about, Vic, is is not only not only does it touch the people that need to hear it, but I'm hoping some modern day Pharisees are listening to this right now too. I should have looked this up before we started to do the show, but as the world, especially among the young, becomes more secular, more and more people turn away from any religious affiliation at all. I wonder what's happened to the suicide rate. And I, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I think Josh is looking it up right now, but <laughs> yeah. I would I would say that it is probably I would say truthfully it it it, it probably has increased. Oh, I would think so. Um <clears throat> in you know, as a priest and pastor, I hate to say what I'm about to say, but 
I think the church should own up to some of that responsibility because some of the church, unfortunately, has become coffee shops and concert halls instead of pointing people, pointing tweet, pointing people toward Christ. I almost said pointing, pointing people, whatever, but pointing people toward Christ. I mean, isn't that not what we do every Lord's Day? Everything that we do, every every part of the liturgy, every part of the sacraments does one thing, and it's to lead people to Christ. And who else better than us to point someone to in that time of need? Did Josh find something? Yeah. Uh, the, the rate worldwide has increased 40% in the past 20 years. 40% in the last 20 years. Yep. That's a horrifying statistic. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i I'm assuming that this is adjusted for populations and per capita and all that. Yep. That's a horrifying statistic. It, but in the same point, you have to ask yourself, what has happened to the church in the past 20 years? Well, many of the churches have gone away. Exactly. Many of the churches have turned away from actually preaching the gospel. Many churches have, um, well, I, all right, I'll get myself in trouble, sort of gladly embraced sin. And that's human nature. Mm-hmm. And so human nature, when we're not feeding the nature of Christ in us, mm -hmm. we're feeding the flesh. <clears throat> and when we feed the flesh, we uh, and say, see, this is another thing that, you know, there, there's consequences to sin. There's, there's, I mean, in my God, I mean, I'm probably the chief of all sinners. However, I know who my advocate is. And if we're not teaching people who their advocate is, in instead of casting judgment or, or, or just not caring, this statistic is going to do nothing but grow. And you know what? You know, I, I don't want to see what you saw. I don't I don't want to see some little girl orange laying in a hospital bed about to die because they don't have a liver. I don't want to see a young man with his face blown off that's gonna to have to have a hundred surgeries and but still never look still never correct be again back. as long as he lives. Right. Never be back to normal. Exactly. And see that's not a quality of life. Mm -mm. You know, and, 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 <clears throat> and see and you know and I can't say that I have not ever thought about it myself because I have. I mean, I can, I can, I can be honest and upfront with you right now and say that I understand why someone who lives in chronic pain will take their own life. I've seen some of those also. It's miserable. Mm -hmm. However, um, I have that, I have that net that so many don't have. And we we have got to do something 
just like we're doing now, talk about the hard subjects, but yet offer hope. And, you know, that's, that's why I like our group of guys is that we could, we can cut up and have a good time. Talk about the serious thing, the serious things, and then cut up and have a good time afterwards too. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, and and no, I mean, for those of you that may be listening, you know, I I I made it known before this podcast ever began that I did not want it to be one of gloom and doom, but one of hope, but mm-hmm. one that also got an education out there that would wake people up to the fact that this thing is real, and see what you'll see. What you'll see is probably about every five to 10 years, you'll see a rash of suicides take place. And mm-hmm. you probably noticed that when no, I you're working in all the ERs and stuff. But but you, you, I, I, I've noticed it ever since I was a teenager, about every five to 10 years, this something would happen in the atmosphere. And we are, and I would call it spiritual warfare, but but something will happen and attack the young people, the younger generation, and they would make these packs that they would all do it together. Mm-hmm. They'd all go home and commit suicide. Some did, some didn't. And it would go on for a little while, then it would die down. Five, ten years later, it'd start back up. And so the enemy of our soul wants us to get so callous that we don't care. The enemy of our soul wants us as parents to get angry with our children for trying something and look at them and say, why would you do something so stupid? My God, woman, your child just tried to kill herself and you're, you're sitting here asking her something like that. You need to be thanking God right now. She's still alive and doing something to save her life. You asked for the fiery mic, so you got him tonight, brother. Fiery mic is good. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I suppose that's one of the, not a problem, but just one of the realities of dealing with other people. You just don't often know when someone's in that state. I mean, if they're standing on the rail of the Golden Gate Bridge getting ready to jump, you pretty much have a good idea of what they're planning. Right. But I don't think most people advertise the fact that they're getting ready to commit suicide. I didn't I have noticed that kids that there would be people who are really serious about it. Ooh, they would they would have a period of time where they seemed much better. They seemed much happier. They seemed much calmer. And we always assumed it was simply that they had made a decision and they felt like the pain they were experiencing would be over soon. And you would, you would think quite the opposite. You'd think that they would become very recluse and draw away. But still, I'll, I'll go back to the idea of you know bringing what joy you can to other people's lives. Because I suppose you never know when just even the smallest thing. Uh, keeps somebody from taking that final step. Have you ever read in Scott Peck? I don't think so. <clears throat> okay, well, I'll send you the M. Scott Peck books. Uh, M. Scott Peck is a a psychiatrist 
Uh, he is a, a Christian psychiatrist, very, very good author. And the two books that I'm aware that he wrote were, well, I'm aware of three. Um, one is The Road Less Traveled, which is a really big seller. <clears throat> I mean, there have been <clears throat> you know, millions of copies of this book sold. The book that I have read most carefully is called People of the Lie. And then I think there was a book he did called Glimpses of Evil, where he's talking about demonic things. The, the People of the Lie is about, it, it, the, the, the subtitle of the book is The Hope for Curing Human Evil. Okay. That's a pretty profound statement. Mm -hmm. the, the Hope for Curing Human Evil. Well, he tells a story in this book of a, once again, an extremely dysfunctional family where he has been called in to be the psychiatrist for this young boy. <clears throat> and I'm going to place him in the 13 to 14, 15-year-old range. Just by going in the room and talking to him, to him as a psychiatrist, he becomes immediately aware that this kid is going through all kinds of turmoil. You know, he's picked all kinds of sores on his arms. He's, he won't look at him. His whole demeanor is one of hopelessness. And the reason that he is so hopeless is that his brother committed suicide sometime in the recent past. He committed suicide with a shotgun. And... The <clears throat> the parents of this young man, on his birthday, cleaned up that shotgun and gave it to him as his birthday present. And, of course, in his mind, he's thinking, well, I guess they want me to follow suit. And I'm not telling this story very well, but he describes the situation where either the parents actually do want this child to commit suicide or they are so out of touch with reality that that's where they're pushing things. Now, this isn't a show about bad parents. There are a lot of bad parents. Most of those kids don't commit suicide. This isn't, this isn't a show about uh, individual instances of families that don't properly support their, their children. Um, but one of the things this show is about, I think, is when, when someone reaches that point of utter and absolute despair, where do they turn? How do we make sure there's some place for them to turn? What, <clears throat> I mean, that's, that's a, an obligation of, I mean, what, um, and I always forget his name. Who's the the preacher who went to Harlem and then back to Germany? Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, he's you know very well known, very great preacher. Um, he, In what time period? Hmm, World War Two. World War Two. He was. He ended up being executed by the Nazis. Ended up being <laughs> executed by. And I've, and I've, and I feel so bad. Let me see if I just type in Harlem Baptist Church, 
German. That's probably about all I got to type in. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Okay, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I mean, he he didn't call the church the bride. He called the church the body of Christ. Yeah. Okay, and he was he was talking about. If we are the body of Christ, we have the same kind of obligations that Christ would have had. And I don't live up to that standard very often. Wish I did, but I but I don't. I so, you know, when I think about this young man, when I think about the young man, the friend of my of my son, other people I've known, these girls, and older people, you know. Men who commit suicide because their marriages fail, their businesses fail. They feel they're a failure in the world. Women who commit suicide because of the same things or feeling like a uh, a loving relationship is gone. Well, you 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 mentioned men, <clears throat> and I want I want I want all the I want all the grown adult men to listen to what I'm about to say. You know I'm in the middle of writing this new book, right? Yes, I do. And one of the parts of it is learning how to become vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And and what I want grown men to understand, becoming vulnerable is not the same as the world would teach vulnerability is oh you're just you're oh you're just weak or you're not strong enough i want to portray the message right now that it takes more guts and more strength for me to call you and become vulnerable than it does anything i'm not weak in doing that by golly i, I got some strength in me to call vic and say, I'm having a hard time, dude. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And see, that's that's something that grown men needs to understand. I mean, it takes a lot to admit to something. I've I mean. Had, I've had people I, do that. I, I I will never forget my first confession. I didn't want to step into that thing. I didn't want to talk to this priest. I didn't want to tell somebody I was having a hard time with anything. Because I was raised, that shows weakness. I had to be the man, you know. Mm-hmm. I had to, I had to show that strength. Well, you know what? That's just that is that is foolishness for us to think that our lives are not going to ever have any problems, and that we're not going to go through things. Or we're not going to have a bad day. You know, sometimes there's got to be an outlet. And so I don't care if you're, I don't care if you're nine or 90. If, if, if someone is going through something, there's hope out there. You, you, if you can't talk to a parent, talk. If you got a pastor, go talk to him. If you have a youth pastor, go talk to them. If you have a talk to a best friend's mom or dad, do something 
but know that your life is worth living. But I'm not picking on the men right now, but the men really need to step it up. We need to, we need to understand that we're not Superman because pride will do one thing and that's, and that's kill you. Well, I still have <clears throat> deep in my, my heart, deep in my soul, deep in my mind, uh, that feeling of you're the man, you got to stand up, you got to be tall, you got to be strong. <laughs> yeah. Don't we all? <laughs> and, and well, I mean, but the truth is, most of the time I can. Most of the time I can live up to that. I can, I can step up. I can be strong. I can be tall. The, um, the problem is, is those times when I can't. Right. Well, look, I have uh, Trailer Trash Terrors. I did, a I did an episode about suicide. Um, if, if you have no one else to talk to, uh, you can find the email address for Trailer Trash Terrors at gmail.com, and you can write to me. Oh, yes. If I get that email... I will respond. I may not be able to respond as a professional. I may not be able to give people anything, everything they need, but I'm at least a voice. That's what I'm talking about. You know, I've, I'm at least a voice. I've seen, I've seen people go through this. Well, frankly, too damn many times. Too just too damn many times. <clears throat> I'm, I'm trying to think back if I if I can think of a suicide that it seemed like a reasonable decision to me at the time, and I can't. You know, even those that came from trigeminal neuralgia, which is supposed to be the most painful thing a human can feel, and people do commit suicide with this particular disease. It's a it's an inflammation of this nerve in the face. And from, well, back when I was studying this, they said it was the worst pain that a human could experience. And that people do commit suicide. I'll tell you, I'll tell you one thing that really bugs me. And I, I, I if you notice, I've been trying to push this toward the positive, but I got to come back to the negative a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I understand. Well, I mean, certain governments, certain states, now seem to see suicide as a completely reasonable solution to normal life problems, as in Canada. Isn't that the Kevorkian guy that started all that? Kevorkian started all that. Yeah, Kevorkian started all that. I mean, but but in Canada, I've read recently of you know people going to receive treatment for entirely addressable issues. And some of the literature that they're given is one of, well, look, one of the options here is simply state-assisted state suicide. That, that's a, well, to me, I'm, I'm going to place, excuse me, I'm going to place that in the, the work of the enemy category. <laughs> uh, of, of course it is. I mean... I, 
we may have to go back and visit that topic. I don't think that would be one for the paranormal rundown, but I think this whole, we may have to revisit that, that topic about medically given advice to commit suicide. How, how in the, <laughs> how in the world can a nation and I, I I know we be we probably talking to believers and non-believers but how can a nation expect blessings from God but endorsing or encouraging someone or giving them how to commit suicide. I, I don't see a way. That's that's why it's the strategy of the enemy is to bring <clears throat> curses upon the land. Because if I can put a curse upon the land, then I can affect the people. So Canada has basically opened their whole nation up to being be affected by the enemy. Mm -hmm. Okay, and here we are. Come do as you will. And they are not the only nation. Uh, or the I'm only, I mean, the, there are states in the U.S. Oh, yeah. And and that's 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 really scary to me. But then we wonder why we have such outbreaks of suicide at times. Well, I can't see those policies. I mean, look, there are people who are very in favor of these policies. You know, they'll label them as extremely humane. They'll label they'll label them as addressing pain that would not otherwise be addressed. I look at it as saying, "Hey, you're a financial burden. Why don't you take your take yourself off of our rolls? Why don't you create a situation where we no longer have to pay for your care?" And you know, we 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 have those that will argue the point. Well, they had a terminal disease and they were about to die. Mm -hmm. You know, okay, okay. I'm not trying to sound hypocritical. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to play devil's advocate here either, but that goes along with that. You don't know what's going on through their mind at that time. Oh no, no, you don't. But you don't have to encourage them Correct. to do something like that. No, no. And you certainly as heck don't have to help them. You, you don't have to put a needle in their arm because they want you to. Well, I think the the best societies are those societies that view life as sacred. Exactly. Life is sacred. Period. And that's that is the you see that is how the international communion of the charismatic Episcopal Church was formed mm -hmm. by the statement "All life is sacred." Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> that's a long story. I had to tell you about it one time. 
but our original patriarch was locked up with a bunch of Roman Catholic priests, and that's how it all began. But <laughs> sounds like a good movie. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually it would be, but it's it's just it's just but but you know how how other than doing what we're doing now, other than talking about it, other than offering glimpses of hope, how how do we give that ultimate hope or at least try to to change someone's mind to not well that and that's a hard question it's a very hard question that takes courage too it does it takes courage to notice someone's mental state to walk up to them to call them to touch their shoulder and say, listen, something doesn't seem right. Can you, right. you know, please talk to me about this? Can we please try to work this out? We may not solve everything, but I'd like you to be here tomorrow. Yeah. The only, the only signs per se, and, and I know there's all kind of, there's all kind of literature out there right now, and, and 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 you can you can read about all these signs and symptoms that would uh, uh, lead someone toward that point. And you know, of course, there's going to be depression. Of course, there's going to be some type of withdrawal. Uh, there may be some that exhibits anger. Uh, and then, and then you can go to the other spectrum to where, uh, especially in teenagers, they will start doing bodily harm to themselves. Correct. Like, like, like cutting themselves. And cutting themselves, like burning themselves. All and these burning themselves with mm -hmm. cigarettes and lighters and stuff. Mm -hmm. But, but like you said, sometimes that's not always the case. And see, that's the reason why if 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 we're if I'm close to you and I see Vic all of a sudden not acting like Vic anymore, well, Mike's going to come to Vic and say, Vic, what's going on, son? What's going on with you? <laughs> well, since you 12. You right. <laughs> yeah. Since age 12, I've had plenty of days when I've been tired, depressed, sad, yeah. ang angry, bereft, you name it. But I've never been at that place. Like, I've never been at that place of actually being willing to take my life again. And that's see, that's the reason why I said we never know what's going on emotionally. Mm -mm. Never know. <clears throat> I'll uh, make a confession here because it's something I've actually felt very bad, bad about. Do you know who uh, Aaron Schwartz? Aaron Schwartz was. I'm sorry, one of my USB ports is loose, and I hit it with my mouse. My bad. Oh, yeah, well, that, yeah. Well, USB ports are always reliable. <laughs> <laughs> always, 100% of the time, reliable. Do you know who Aaron Schwartz was? Yes. You do? I've heard the name. I don't, I don't know a lot about him. Okay, Aaron Schwartz was an MIT computer genius. That's right, yeah. 
he was the uh, co-founder of Reddit. He, uh, look, he's one of these guys who was walking around, like I say, with a 200 IQ, could do anything. He had set up a, a laptop with a huge external hard drive in one of the computer closets at MIT and had written a script where he was downloading thousands and thousands and thousands of, of academic articles from these various closed academic sites that you could get to through MIT. And it was his plan to make these public. Well, <clears throat> I don't think that's the very worst thing in the world, but at the time, the FBI decided that, hey, look, we've got to make an example of this. This is just something we're not going to allow. And so he was convicted of whatever federal crime that is, and I can't tell you what it is. And the FBI even went to him and said, "Look, you know, we realize you're not Al Capone. You're not, you know, you're not, you're not somebody whose lives are in danger. People's lives aren't in danger if they're around you. But you've got to serve some prison time. You've got to serve some federal prison time." And they were working with the judges to figure out what the minimum amount of, amount of time he could serve was, and they came up with a number of six months. Well, the day after they came up with that number. Aaron hanged himself in his apartment. He just psychologically could not face the idea of being in federal prison for six months. And I will admit that during that time, I said some very uncharitable things about, mm -hmm. about Aaron. You know, about cowardice, this kind of thing. That was very wrong of me. I wish I hadn't done that, because once again, I didn't know what was in his heart and in his and in his mind, mm -hmm. and I was judging him based upon my belief that a man should face the consequences of what he does. So, you know, Vic Hermanson's not always the nicest guy either. No, well, neither is Mike Birdsong. So, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could say I was. So when I'm doing these shows, I often will have another screen going with either Scribd, which is a place of books and documents and PDF files, or newspapers.com, which I use all the time. <clears throat> and I found that if I go back in time some, say 1960, 1970, the reporting was a lot more objective. There was very, it was, and so, and certain things are the same. So I just did a search on suicide for 19, what did I come up with here? This is from 1959. So I had said from 1950 to 1965 or something like that. And what came up is the Honolulu Star, Honolulu Star Bulletin big, huge article about suicide, talking about how much of a problem it is in Hawaii. And in the same article, they're saying, you know, Hawaii experiences about 60 suicides a year, which if you think about it, it seems like a very small number, but for Hawaii in 1959, that's probably pretty huge. But it's got a, one part of this article that says eight common myths about suicide. Do you mind if I no, that? no, that's what this show's for. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one, people who talk about suicide never do it. Wrong. At least 80% of those who commit suicide 
had discussed the act earlier with doctors or relatives. Threats must be taken seriously. So people do say they're going to commit suicide. Improvement in the suicidal patient means the danger is over. When a person is thought well is precisely the time he has the energy to commit suicide. And I have seen this a number of times when people are so, so low, they're so down there, they don't have the energy to take a bath. They don't have the energy to, to talk. They don't have the energy to do anything, to eat. And then as they get just a little bit better, then it's like they've got the ability to, to do what they've been wanting to do. Wow. Um, number three, only the insane kill themselves. Studies show the majority of suicides were emotionally disturbed, but not psychotic. Only a small number fall in the latter category. Number four, suicide happens inexplicably without warning. Seldom does, a sudden, seldom does a person suddenly go berserk. A potential suicide usually gives warnings that can be detected. And that's absolutely true. If I think back about Josh, that young man had not been right for a long time. And my son did try to help and intervene. But the day where everything went south, he wasn't there to do that. He wasn't able to do that. He wasn't there. He was doing his schoolwork. Uh, number five, suicide and depression and deep depression always go hand in hand. Not necessarily. To regard everyone who is not depressed as non-suicidal is dangerous. Number six, suicide is a single disorder. No, it's a complex act. It is not a simple isolated act of compulsion. There are endlessly different patterns for different suicides. Number seven, suicidal tendencies are inherited. No, it is an individual event and does not run in families. Number eight, suicide should be controlled by law and attempts made illegal. Never. A threat of punishment will keep patients away from seeking psychiatric treatment. Exactly. Legis legislation has no effect on potential suicides. I always wonder when the idea forms in people's minds that th that, that is their best option. I don't think we'll ever know the answer to that. I don't think so either. <clears throat> So where do we go I mean, now, Father Mike? It's kind of like it's kind of like making a mass judicial sentence on everybody that was at one place at one time, where you're going to have some that committed some act and some that was just bystanders. I mean, so the same. So to put that to lump every case as one and say that all these different symptoms or signs or whatever is going to show in every person. No, each one's different. So I don't think, I think, I think you're right. I don't, I don't think we'll ever know when that will be tried. This is a great article, by the way. I'll print these pages out if you don't mind getting newspaper articles from 1959. That'd be great. From Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. I, I would like to know what this, the statistics are now. Mm -hmm. Josh, look up Hawaii 2022. 
Yeah, how many how many statistics are in, in 20 how many suicides are in 2022? Cuz there were approximately yeah. 60 in 1959. There was approximately 60 in 1959. Come on. Was it was it Hawaii or just Honolulu? Hawaii. 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 He's a uh, he's a uh, looking at it right now. I want I want to ask a question. In in in, if you think it needs to be, we can edit this out. That's up to Josh. I, I, <laughs> I don't I don't. I don't uh <clears throat> no I I'm a, I I'm I'm going to ask you a question about the uh young man um and if you don't think it's proper please edit it out but do you, do you remember the episode <clears throat> that we did about how um demonic entities can become attached to objects yes and stuff like that that we bring in our home at times not knowing what we're doing yes if i take a shotgun and blow my brains out number one you can believe that's the enemy oh yes <clears throat> i would dare say that that Some contamination. I'm not saying in all cases of suicide is demonic. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Hmm. I would dare say that most are because the enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And I'm not too certain that something was attached to that shotgun. And when that young boy received it. Right. I, I don't know. Uh, it's just when 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 you said that the parents gave him that gun, cleaned it up, and gave it to him, I'm like, I wouldn't have. Oh, of course not. No, I, I don't think any any sane, loving parent would. That's crazy. Your brother killed himself with this shotgun. Here, it's yours now. No, you take that shotgun and get rid of it. You take that shotgun. You take you take that shotgun and have it melted down. You take that shotgun yeah. and make sure that it doesn't get in anybody's hands again. Right. You know, give it to the police. Say, "Here, please get rid of this thing for me." You don't give I mean, it to that them. would be like me going into a satanic temple that was dug up from thousands of years ago and bringing some statue into my home. That ain't too smart. <clears throat> That ain't too smart. I, th I think everybody's figuring out I'm a Southern boy now, right? You are a Southern boy. <laughs> All right, uh, Vic. Yes, sir. The count for 2022 in Hawaii, it, it doesn't have like a an actual death count. It has a rate, but it, it's 13.7 per 100,000 uh, population. Okay. What was the... What was the population in Hawaii in 2022? Let's see. Population. 
Hawaii 2022. Uh, let's see, 1,440,196. That's amazing. That's not wow. very many people. <laughs> no. So that's going to be essentially 13.7 times 14. Let's make it 14 times 14. So let's see. I should be able to do that in my head. I'm tired. 196. 196. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, there were fewer people in Hawaii in 1959. Yeah. Now, the percentage increase, it said it's increased 30% uh, from 1989 to 2021. Well, I think what we're seeing is this: since about 1990, there's been this rapid increase in the percentage of people who commit suicide. Mm-hmm. And that corresponds very well with the diminishment of the involvement of the church in society. That's exactly what I was about to say. Mm-hmm. When we take... I'm just going to go ahead and say it and not care who I make mad. When, 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 when we take God out of the equation, bad things happen. Mm -hmm. And if you remember correctly, back in 1990, that's when a lot of the major downfall of the church began. People began to become enlightened in their own way, so to speak, and and they don't need God anymore. And that's just that's just the way it's going now. JJ may be coming. Cool. I said, come on in, seeing if he's, uh, seeing what he's doing. Can I read you a, a suicide note in this um, Hawaii article? Yes, and maybe J.J. will pop in on, on that too. Yeah, what a good time. Uh, <laughs> they've redacted some of this, of this note. This is, my darling, redacted. I called you on the phone and you answered me. I would never have done you redacted any harm probably or the children this you know and you also know that i love you more than life itself you told me the truth tonight and said you did not love me anymore and then i phoned you redacted a long section redacted i don't know what he said i cannot live without you and all my effects are on the bed the insurance is yours now legally i will always love you and I'll wait on the other side for you you have nothing to do with this action of mine and I told you tonight that I would free you. I know of no other way out. I cannot go on without you. You are my life, my love, and my all. Your devoted husband, name redacted. Let me see what JJ has to say. Sure, give me four minutes for a bio break. Probably to feed Belfogor. Um... <laughs> Well, if, if you don't mind, we can pause and I'll go for a bio break myself. I, I would like a bio break. So All right. let's just pause. I'll be back in a few minutes. All right. <clears throat> right now. I yeah, hear you. I can hear you now. I hear you just fine. I, I, I had the wrong side in. <laughs> <laughs> there is JJ. Well, me. Howdy, y'all. Howdy. Uh, JJ, I was fussing with my 
with my speaker and I figured out I had the wrong gear, buddy. And <laughs> well, <laughs> so I, I couldn't just, hear anything. I just gave uh paranormal rundown a big shout out on that interview. So awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I did the same for us at the very beginning. Uh, you know, I, I was telling Vic, you know, and, 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 and I'm glad you were able to join us here. Um, Cause I, I really, I really like your insight into things, but I told Vic, you know, that part of, part of the vision that I have for this podcast is, you know, we, as a group, we, as the paranormal rundown, we don't mind talking about quote unquote, the hard things at times, but we also give hope from those hard times. And, uh, I think, I think that's what makes us stand out a lot from the rest. And, um, uh, but I also told you guys that this is probably one of will be the hardest subject that we'll ever talk about in uh, ending the curse podcast because I I believe it is a curse. I believe it's rooted in curses, and that's suicide. And um, at the very beginning, I spoke about the stigma that uh, uh, well, number one that the church itself, the body, the bride puts on it and how the modern day Pharisees comes out and all of a sudden says everybody that commits suicide is going to hell. Well, we can't judge a man's heart and we don't know what they're going through. We don't know what kind of mental illness they have. We don't know what kind of medication they're on. You know, there's all kinds of factors that come in there. And so to lump everybody and say that anybody and everybody that commit suicide goes to hell. Uh, you know, we're from the South, JJ. That dog's not, not going to hunt, and I'll be the first to open that can of worms. So, uh, but at any rate. Um, I've got a story about that. Well, that's that's what I want to hear. Can I, ask you, can I ask one question before you get started? I mean, my, my understanding is that we're talking about, we've been talking about suicide tonight in terms of, Christianity, in terms of uh, Western civilization, the the view of suicide is much different in Japan. Oh, absolutely! And, you know, at least as it's far actually as actually considered to be an honorable way out as a last resort. So, get back to your story. Sorry to interrupt you there. No, no, not at all. And I and Father Burton, I am on the exact same page. You know, hey, I JJ, grew can up. You... JJ, can you get your volume down maybe 15%? Uh, sure. One second. You're kind of clipping. How's that? That's much better. Okay, good. So, I grew up Southern Baptist, and the one thing you heard time in and time out is about the unforgivable sin. Right. And usually that is cast at the feet of suicide. If you reject the one gift that God gives everyone, then, then you have automatically turned your back upon him and you will never receive his grace. My eldest great uncle, Uncle Larry, he developed brain cancer 
He had three tumors in his brain, all very sizable. One day he began to have massive migraines and then we found out that yes, it's brain cancer and he did not have any kind of a good prognosis to it. And he died from this as the doctors anticipated. And it wrecked a horrible effect on my family. But one of the people that it touched the most was my great, my not great uncle, my uncle. He is my mother's brother. Was his best friend, Cliff. Cliff and Larry were inseparable and had been their entire lives. And when Uncle Larry passed away, Cliff was devastated. And he, I always remember him as a very affable man, lived in a trailer down on Indian Creek Road, uh, had a pet iguana who loved to bite people. But he was always full of laughter and joy. And then after Larry died, all of that vanished. And he killed himself. And it was my mom who went and cleaned the blood off from the floor of his trailer after he shot himself in the head. And the greatest affront to me and still just irks my soul to this day is he could not have a funeral. He was cremated and his life was then covered up. No one spoke of Cliff again. Hmm. Not my family because <clears throat> we knew and loved him. But to the eyes of the community, he was in hell already. And there was never a positive thing that could be said ever about the man again. And there is such a severe form of shaming involved that it's almost, it's just, it, to me, that is the unforgivable part in all of this. The fact that I could not properly mourn this man who had been such a close part of my family. This man was essentially another uncle to me. And the day that he died, I suddenly lost two uncles all in one fell swoop. Right. And then the rest of the community just wiped him away from their collective memory. It's awful. It really is. But going back to the idea of Japan real quick, um, you know, Japan has an epidemic of suicide and always has. Um, you know, the idea of <coughs> ritualistic suicide, seppuku, harikari, whatever you want to call it, is very real. If you, because the I. <laughs> The whole point in Japanese society is that it is not the rights of the individual that is supreme, it's the rights of the community. Well, before it was the rights of the emperor, the rights of the ruling class, but then it became, after World War II especially, 
the rights of the community at large. And if you negatively impact the community, then woe be your hide. So suicide is a very acceptable way out, and it still has a huge suicide rate. Uh, in fact, Japan has the second most popular suicide spot in the entire word, a world, Aokigahara, um, whereas the first is the Golden Gate Bridge, San Francisco. That's, that's very interesting. I want to, uh, and, and I know that you were not here at the beginning. So I, I want to, I want to show how close that we're on the same page and just read you a few statements that I said at the very beginning of the, of the show. Uh, I named, I named Robin Williams, John McAfee, Marilyn Monroe, and, Mr. Soul Train himself, Don Cornelius. And and I asked, uh, what did they all have in common? And I said they all committed suicide. And then I then I said, quote, and it never fails. And see, I want I want your take on this as well. Because I got to be very honest with you, JJ, and and say, coming from my point of view and who I am, I believe the church has failed and here's why it never fails that some of the church where one should be giving grace open their mouth and spew venom it is actions like this that made me wonder at times have we forgotten that christ sought out the lost the least and the lonely and then i said to be honest with you that is a subject and characteristics of christ that the church needs to understand again i mean really how dare we go spend time i was some speaking sinner being a smart aleck in that statement however the church's judgmental and self-righteous attitude shows its colors and hatefulness in the realm of condemnation that we must get control of if we are to ever live in the kingdom and then I mentioned a pastor that killed himself of a mega church back in 2019. And one of the media writers or one of the people uh, compared him with Judas and told him that they're all going to hell. And I said, you know what? This was, this is my next statement. And I'm not speaking to the world per se right now. I'm speaking to the church. You know what? You're not God. Really, have we become so holy that we have forgotten that we are still to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling? Have we forgotten that a thief that many in the church today would have turned their back on and pushed away, Christ told him in the Gospel of Luke that he would be with him today in paradise? How dare the church bring accusations and condemnations on someone that they know nothing about? How dare we bring slander and malice on someone who suffers from depression, anxiety, or anything of the like? And then I said this. I said, how many of you have ever had someone close to you commit suicide? And then I mentioned, even in my, in my own past, when I was 15 years old, I had a 14-year-old little cousin that shot himself. When I was 16, 
two young men that I grew up with shot themselves a few months apart. And, and see, Vic, that was part of that whole uh, gang thing or covenant thing that I was telling you about that happens ever so often. And then I even talked about a former pastor I had many, many years ago. He's a dear friend, but he suffered chronic pain just like me and depression and overdosed and hung himself. You see, one of the points of this whole cast, and I'm glad David is joining us now as well, is, is I want us not to be afraid to talk about the hard things like this, although this will probably be one of the hardest things we ever talk about. But I want to give hope too, but I also want, I want to make this known to the people that proclaim to be part of the church. You're not God. You don't, you don't, you don't know what a person's going through. In the times that you're being a modern-day Pharisee, that should be the time that you should be showing <laughs> the grace in the Lord of Jesus Christ and saying, hey, God is not mad at you. And pointing toward the one that could, that could care for him. So what is your view on those statements that I just made? I would... 100% agree with all of them. You know, when I was in high school, I was a part of our debate team. And every three months, we would have a new resolution. This was, this was all philosophical debate. And one of those topics that came out was that uh, medically-assisted suicide is justifiable and I had to develop you know you, you have to develop cases both affirmative and negative to discuss these topics but at that time I was very much against the idea and a lot of that was based upon all of these concepts that I grew up in the community that suicide is absolutely the unforgivable sin. And I had a whole bunch of excuses as to why you wouldn't, you know, why one should never, ever, ever commit suicide. Doesn't matter if you have chronic pain. It doesn't matter if you're in the worst agony day in, day out. Doesn't matter if you're, you know, in such a dark place that you never think that you could ever see the light of day. And then a few things happened. I had a good friend of mine who was, who attended another school and was also in debate and we interacted every other weekend. And his girlfriend left him when he was 17. He thought he was gonna marry this girl. And so he sat in a garage with a running car and killed himself. And the very thought that not only was this horrible accident going to deprive the world of what this young man who shown such great promise could have been, but it was the fact that his family now viewed his memory as a taboo 
that they lost their not only their son in actuality, but they lost their son even in memory. And I can't imagine a worse fate than that. And then to have my uncle die and then his best friend commit suicide. Those things really opened my eyes. And of course, later in life, when I've gotten a taste of what true pain truly is, I can understand the absolute arrogance of my statements when I was in high school. How dare I think that I'm allowed to sit in judgment of others when I have no idea what in the ever-living world I am talking about. And I've carried that forward. And I, just the idea of, the, of an unforgivable sin truly sets my teeth on edge. But if we are truly to act like Christ, then our hearts should be open. And it doesn't matter to who, what their circumstances are, they should be open. And I, yeah, I'm, that's why I completely agree with you. It might have been a long-winded answer to get to that statement. But <laughs> no, 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 uh, That that that's that's exactly what I wanted to hear. And, and I, I, I'll even share this because, you see, you don't have a clue what I said earlier. And that's why I love this so much. But I, uh, I was telling Vic, and, uh, and David will understand what I'm talking about as well. I mean, you guys know that I live with terrible chronic pain. And uh, I can understand why someone would take their own life. To have to deal with pain every day. Not that I would do it, but but some people are on, let's just say, certain types of medications that they shouldn't be on. And and if you're living with chronic pain and you're taking medications, so to speak, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to come up with excuses. I'm just trying to show that we never know what's taking place we never know what is happening and uh and and now that i see dave i'd like to hear from him well so i i would agree with a lot of this um i think that it's a it's a tough thing to think about when you start bringing in you know, as as JJ brought up the assisted suicide, because that runs the risk of normalizing something like that. I agree with that point. And so I I, I firmly agree with the idea that, and from you know from what I've heard, the the unforgivable sin is is blasphemy against God, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's there is no other. Exactly. And I, I've never understood the idea that where they came up with, and I'm sure it's somewhere in a document where they came up with the idea that suicide was unforgivable, but I don't buy it. I've known good people uh, who have attempted suicide. I've known good people who have committed suicide. 
uh, I had a neighbor commit suicide when I was a kid. Uh, it was an adult. And I had a friend who attempted suicide when I was a teenager. And these were not people that, you know, I just could not see a scenario where God would turn his back on them because of the troubles that they went through. At the same time, when you look at what Canada is doing and the assisted suicide law up there, and I mean, there are some really unsettling cases of teenagers with anxiety or I think one of them diabetes or, you know, they're going to live an uncomfortable life and they've decided to go the route of assisted suicide. And I, that is very, very disturbing to me. I think that you can go the route of, I, I don't think we can judge people who commit that act. As you say, Father Mike, there's, you never know what somebody's going through. I've been through a lot of pain in my life. Um, I've had relatives who went through a lifetime of pain. Uh, my grandmother was darn near a saint for all the pain that she went through. And you just, you never know what somebody's going through. I agree. It's not our place to judge anyway. But at the same time, we don't want to turn around and say, okay, well, you know, you're having a bad day here. Go call Dr. Kevorkian on the corner here. And, uh, you know, it was nice knowing you. You know, it, it's, I think that's the risk that you run when you start with the, the medically assisted suicide. But I, I, I don't know. I, I, I do. I do get the trauma and the pain that people live with. And, and I can understand a, a certain point that you reach that you might want to say, you know what? I'm done. I don't know how you handle that. I don't have well, answers. Well, there's one other thing I'd like to bring up, Father Mike, if yes. you don't mind. Yes. No, go for it. I actually just got through talking about this on the interview I did before jumping over here oh, uh, awesome. for Nickelodeon TV. But we were talking about Japanese spirituality and views of the afterlife. And, you know, the question came up of, you know, do they really, do the Japanese have an idea of the afterlife? And the answer is not really. I mean, you know, there's a whole 49 day cycle and then you get kind of recycled into the wheel of life again. But the most important part to the Japanese is the moment of death. And that is you are meant to go into that good night in a serene and peaceful state because that will have a direct bearing upon how things afterwards will take place. And especially in the U.S. where given the state of our healthcare system, I don't think that you're afforded a lot of dignity in those last days. 
maybe you're shoved off into hospice care. You might get a nurse once a week, twice a week, who's there to pretty much administer pain pills and make sure you're comfortable. And that's really about the end of their job because that's all they really can do. And I'm not disparaging that. I follow a lot of hospice nurse creators who talk about their stuff and what they go through. And I just couldn't even begin to imagine. But, you know, I, I think here there's such despair and agony and death. Whereas maybe if we could get back to a state of serenity and calm in that moment of death. Maybe that would be better. I can't say for sure. I have no data to back it up, but that definitely seems to be playing a part. What do the Japanese do to foster that atmosphere of serenity at the moment of, at the moment of death? You never say anything to in those final moments, if, you know, you can be a part of those final moments, uh, they normally leave the person alone. Like, they'll make sure that they're comfortable, that they have everything that they need, and otherwise they essentially meditate, and they try to have no lasting worries on their mind, um, and that way they can be in a zen-like state when they do pass. It's really, it's kind of hard to achieve, especially when you're about to face the great unknown, but it is a beautiful image that so many attempt to emulate and to capture. When you were talking about suicide being looked at as an honorable departure, when someone does commit suicide in Japan, do you have any knowledge about the the type of mourning that the family normally goes through? I mean, do they, is that similar to what you would see in the U.S., or do are they thinking that, because they're still losing someone, they're still having their life diminished. They are, but the, you can still have the same funerary rites as everybody else. I mean, suicide is so prevalent there that there's even these ad hoc suicide groups that were formed where people will find other like-minded individuals online, and then they will agree to go off into the middle of the woods and kill themselves or, you know, be in a public sp space altogether and kill themselves. It's more common than what you think. Um, but especially if you are, say, a, a parent who had a child go on a rampage and injure or kill somebody, or you were involved in a vehicular accident and you happen to kill somebody else, usually suicide is a better way of dealing with it than going through all of the shame that you will perpetually have. Um, not saying it's the best way or the correct way. God, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating for anything here. I'm just saying that's usually seen as a more honorable way than just living with that shame. Okay. Question for each of you. Um, so 
I've tried and Vic has tried to not make this whole episode gloom and doom, but I let everybody know from the beginning that this was a very hard topic tonight. But now that you you guys are here, I want to ask each of you a question, in a, whoever wants to go first. But for someone... How do we give someone hope? How do we give someone, you know, that so-and-so lost their girlfriend or someone's having a bad day or, you know, um, how do we get hope out there that death is not the answer? Because death it doesn't just affect you. You're going to be gone. But death is our enemy as well because it leaves a hole in the hearts of the survivors. How do we give someone hope and say, look, well, first we got to know what's going on with them, but, but how do we give them hope properly to save that life to let them know that your life is precious. Your life is worthy. All at the same time and say, look, you don't have to be shameful for thinking these thoughts, but let me, let me share this with you. If someone was to call you tonight and say, I'm done. I'm checking out and you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're being serious. Are we prepared? Are we ready to give an answer? What would we say? I want to leave our listeners tonight since we're all here with a message of hope. I can tell you one case in point for me. Okay. I, so this was back in college in the very early days of the internet. Uh, our college campus was one of the few that actually was fully connected because we had an astrophysicist from NASA when he accepted a teaching position at our college they said, okay, fine. And they wired everything to the nine hilts at the time just so that they could stay in constant communication with him. And, of course, we students used that for bulletin board systems, gopher, trying to find girls at the local all-female colleges all around us. You know, really important things. But anyway, one night... Oh, y'all know y'all were looking up porn. You know you were. Um... Not me. I am no so I am so holy and you know. Oh, anyway. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, one night I was on a bulletin board system. I think it was Brenta back in the day, and I ran across a a young what they claimed to be a young woman who, in the Lord only knows, um, who said that they were going to commit suicide that very night, and. I don't know if that's true. 
I could have ignored it. This was like at 2 a.m. in the morning. And I still stayed up until, I think this is the first time I've ever talked about this. I stayed up until like 7 or 8 a.m. in the morning talking to this person in a private chat. And the main thing, and whether I did this right or not, I'll never know, but I just stress the fact that there are other people out there for that person. The idea of connectedness, that you are not alone. And I listen to them spew their problems forth. And my hope was that that was like lancing an infected wound that maybe everything that had been built up could be alleviated in some fashion. Did this really happen? Was this just a case of trolling? I'll never know. I don't even vaguely remember what the username is. If they stuck with you that long, probably not. That's what I'm hoping, because otherwise mm -hmm. I lost a night of sleep for nothing. But, no. I mean, at the worst case of it is, I entertain somebody. At the wor I mean, at the best case scenario, maybe I made an impact that kept them from doing what they said that they were going to do. Correct. And that's such a small price to pay for maybe keeping someone in this world that I had no problems at all, you know, paying that little, little price. And, and see, that's, that's the point that I wanted to bring up about when I said the modern day Pharisees that a lot of us face today. I mean, this subject is met with such shame and stigma like you were talking about why we should being Christ to that person if that makes sense to you and, and, and see that's essentially what you did in this all night conversation I mean if it was it real who knows but it, it doesn't matter you were at a place at a right time for such a time as that and you had a choice to make. Kind of like what Vic and I was talking about when I was in the supermarket the other day and only one person stopped when I was laid on the floor. You were that one person and <laughs> that you guys have heard me say this plenty of times. You were that watchman on the wall. Am I back? Yeah, you're yeah, back. Yeah, that's now you're back. again. Okay, yeah. Something happened there. Yeah, I, th I think you're having some connectivity issues this evening well, jj that, i mean it's, you, that, it's that usb port i'm gonna i'm gonna have it fixed tomorrow jj you 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 honored the moral code that you hold yourself to yeah okay whether or not the person on the other end of the phone was genuinely suicidal it, it doesn't really matter uh, you have no control over that you have control over how you honored that code True. And I'm still, to this day, I am still glad that I bothered to do that rather than just, you know, going to bed and shutting my computer off and forgetting about it. Well, I've had similar situations. 
You know, I've had all night conversations. I've had oh, um, sitting in parking lots for eight hours. I've had sitting in parts of the school I shouldn't be in for eight hours, just listening, talking. I didn't have much question at the time of the people that I was dealing with were in tremendous pain. And all of them had said that they very much wanted to check out. I don't remember any of these people ever doing so. David? It, it's always seemed to me that when you reach that point, when you're at the the end of the line where you're just like, I can't deal with it anymore. It's interesting the things that you're focused on. The things that you're focused on are, are very close to you. They're, they're very emotional. And it's hard to see past them. When I was a teenager... I went through some depression. I had thoughts of suicide. And, you know, one of the ways that I dealt with it was I, I came up with the idea that, you know, if it's that bad, if I ever reach the point to where I think that's something I'm going to go through with, Well, I'll just take whatever money I've got, pack a bag, and go catch a bus somewhere. Hop in the car and go somewhere. Change my scenery. Because if my life is so bad that I don't want to be in it anymore, well, what I probably ought to do is just change my life. And that got me through some tough times. Not that I packed a bag and hopped in the car and drove to Dallas or, you know, Florida or wherever else the, the better place might be. But the idea that if it ever got to that point, I could. And, you know, you think, well, I've got responsibilities here. I've got expectations of my parents or, you know, girlfriend, whatever. But if you're going to kill yourself, then those things don't matter to you anyway, because you're ending all of those responsibilities by ending your life. So why not try to find another way to enjoy life? find another way to appreciate it. And, you know, I think that got me through a lot. Just the idea that I could. And and I think that's, a you know, again, the, the things that we go through that get us to that point are very often, we're so far in the weeds, we can't see the big picture. We can't see what could be better because we're really, really emotionally attached to something that's wrong and we're, we're focusing on it and not letting that go. And 
when you think about changing things, you start looking at, well, what are the opportunities? What can I do to change this? Do I just drop it all and leave and go do something else? Or, or are there little things I can do to make things better? It's about perspective. And I think when you're in that state, you don't have perspective. You can't see the big picture. And I don't know. I know that that helped me. Well, I like what you said. And I'm sorry, Vic. Uh, was you about to say something? Uh, I like I like what you said about making a change. And uh, and I was even talking to Vic about this earlier, but you know I have to when it comes to this subject. I fully believe that there's a change that needs to be to be made. And but but the change that I'm talking about has to come from um, the church, the ancient church's faith. And Saint Paul addresses our life as this great race that we're all going to finish in some way, and we all hope that we're going to finish well. Will everybody? No. However, when he's talking about this race, when he's talking about this life, and when he's talking about the stuff that we go through, he addresses this great mystery that he says it was hidden from ages and generations. And then he gives the answer to this great mystery, which says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. But the word that I want to focus on is hope. There is, there is one hope out there that fulfilled all the law, that fulfilled all the prophets, that can give us hope. And that's Christ in you. And I believe the only hope for our nation is Christ. The only hope for Canada, which has embraced a culture of death, is Christ. In one of the most downplayed scriptures that everybody knows, that everybody quotes, but I don't think hardly anybody understands the meaning of it, and it said every sports game, what do you see? John 3.16. Well, you may not can put that poster board up anymore, but that's what happens when you kick God out of a country. Everybody starts killing themselves. But that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him should not perish. What's the key word there? Should not what? Perish. Because he is life. John chapter 1 tells us he is the light in the life of all men. And he is the only hope that we have to stop this, and I'm going to say it again, curse of people unsensibly taking their life. So the only hope that I could give tonight is Christ in you. 
Now, Vic asked for the fiery mic tonight, so he got him. So, but <laughs> at any rate, but that, that to me, something changes within the heart of man when we meet Christ. Something happens with our outlook. Something even happens with our expectations. Something even happens with our own agendas. Something even happens with our own desires. Because all of a sudden, it doesn't just come, everything just doesn't revolve around me. All of a sudden, my perspective on certain situations begin to change. All of a sudden, David, that change of life comes. And I believe that we as a people, that we as a nation, to stop this parasite, this cancer of suicide, is to once again give hope instead of shaming the hell out of somebody and forgetting their memory like JJ was talking about and acting like it doesn't exist and just sweep it up under a rug until the rug gets so high we're tripping over it. And see, that's why I like this group so much. Because we're not afraid to talk about this. We want to give answers. We want to give hope. We want to give love. We want to give charity. But Josh is not on the picture here, but five men can't do it alone. Oh, no. But that's why this the name of this podcast is so important. Ending the curse. Ending the cycle. Stop going around this same old mountain day in and day out. Let's make a change. As Michael Jackson would say, you guys always making fun of the music I listen to. Y'all remember the song Man in the Mirror? Nope. JJ remembers it. I do. Sorry. <laughs> Man in the Mirror, the whole thing about it is, is let the change begin with you. That's right. You be the change because I guarantee, as we say in the South, I'm not going to say guarantee you. I, I, I guarantee you that if you make the change, somebody else will see it. And you never know, just like that, just like that conversation JJ had all night long, lost sleep. You never know who you're going to touch. David, you don't know what you did tonight just by being there. Right. JJ, you don't know what you did tonight just by speaking. Vic, you don't know what you did your whole career in the fondness and the bad memories that you, when you was working as an RN, you don't know what life you touched. No. And that's what this is all about. And that's why I love you gentlemen so much. Well. <clears throat> now y'all all silent on me. 
<laughs> what happened to the rowdy crew? Well, rowdy crew's been going at it for two and a half hours. Yes, we have. <laughs> yes, I'm kind of all rowdied out tonight. Uh, me the, too. The, the rowdiness that goes away. Like a perfect conclusion to me. <laughs> David, everything go okay tonight? Yeah. Yeah, surprisingly well. Very good. We'll see what happens tomorrow. Very good. Father Birdsong, is there anything else we need to touch before we sign off? No, sir. You just... Uh, all right. Fine. I'm going to end this. Uh, Josh, in the morning, I'll get all these files up on uh, High Drive. And I will talk to you guys soon. All right. Take care, gentlemen. Appreciate you. See Thank y'all very much. It was good seeing y'all again. Good night. Yes, sir. You too. Absolutely.